Well, it's my pleasure now to ask up the first speaker, Elise. So I'm actually going to talk to you today about Psalm 119. And you think, what possessed me to do that, to choose that? Um, yeah, let's read the whole thing. We'll be here till tomorrow, is that okay? Um, no, that's not how I'm going to tackle it. Um, but I do want to talk to you about, or for a lot of you probably remind you about um, some things that I've discovered about the psalm as a whole. So I haven't chosen one section. It's sort of across the whole psalm, but I won't read it all. Um, but please do get out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 119. I'm, I'm reading from the NIV today. Um, and I will make one point when we get there. Okay. Um, so a couple of pieces of background information, but they are important. So we don't know for sure who wrote Psalm 119. It might have been David, might not. So that means that we don't have a specific context for, um, for this psalm. We can't know exactly what the events were that um, sort of inspired the uh, the author to write these things um, uh, so there's a bit of um, what do we think might have triggered this this psalm is an acrostic poem of sorts in the Hebrew so it's divided into stanzas each of eight verses and each stanza, stanza starts with a different um, letter of the Hebrew alphabet so of course in translating to English we've lost a little bit of that poetry but the eight bar stanzas I've still found really useful in my reading too really helpful to work through this long prayer <laughs> because that's what it is it's a prayer a very long prayer um, Jeremy Thornton described it as a prayer of tribute to the Word of God so every verse every single verse exalts the Word of God and the God of the Word so in Psalm 119 the psalmist describes the Word of God on the law of God for instance it's eternal standing firm in heaven in verse 89 and this and in doing so um, they also describe some of the characteristics of God so there are lots and lots of uses of words like commands and laws and precepts um, and if you think about what the word of the Lord as it was available to the psalmist a lot of it would have been in that format of laws we now have the privilege of access to um, other types of texts things like the Psalms and in the New Testament in the Gospels and different types of texts all of which um, teach us about God's character and his actions and how we can obey him and really importantly we can ask God that he provides his revelation to us of what all these words that we can read what do they mean and how do we follow them and this is noted quite a few times in Psalm 119 actually and they'll pop up as examples as we go I should just look at the time, yeah. We also know that the Holy Spirit can provide us with promptings, we usually call them. That is very specific ways that I individually need to follow God's will for me. Um, for instance, what to say in a particular situation or whether to say yes when someone asks you to speak in church. Um, we can learn so this is our opportunity to learn from God himself about his law about his will we do this by seeking relationships so that's um, praying as we study stopping it from being an intellectual study but praying for revelation when we study his word and praying throughout our regular activities and by listening which is really hard I think 
and then of course by having the guts to actually do what we're prompted to do. So I think all of these things are included in the Word of God. So although this, um, the language in this psalm sounds a bit like it might mean that meditating on God's precepts is sitting there and studying a list of laws, I think it means so much more than that. So the psalmist describes the Word of God and then they describe the different responses that people could have to the law of God. Non-believers reject the law and we as believers we know about the law. We can choose to follow or reject his commands. Um, it might mean following some of them and not others. Or it might mean sometimes we're really seeking and following um, as well as we can. And other times, we have other times of sort of generally turning away from God and his word. I know that that's what my actions and my attitudes have been across my life. That it hasn't been consistent. It's been um, that, that I can choose what to do. Um, and although the psalmist here doesn't tell us, I don't think there are any examples in Psalm 119 of actually what God's commands are, um, but we get a lot of the consequences of following or rejecting those commands. For example, in verse 21, you rebuke the arrogant who are accursed, those who stray from your commands. Verse 118, you reject all who stray from your decrees by their delusions, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your statutes. Whereas, verse 98 is, your commands are always with me and they make me wiser than my enemies. Your righteousness, sorry, 142, your righteousness is everlasting and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands give me delight. So those are just some examples of the consequences that we can experience from follow, of choosing to follow or reject the laws of God. What I'd like to focus on today, though, really is that the psalmist prays, talks to God about their own experiences with God's law. Were they faithfully studying it and following it? Were they following it? And what were the consequences that this person experienced? And this person, presumably one person, brings all of these things before God and there are a whole lot of different experiences. It's not one, um, one thing, one concept. I don't know whether this psalm was written in a week or a year or describing a whole lifetime, but clearly, um, as I said before, there are times, there were either times where they were studying and following God's commands and times they weren't. Or maybe there were different parts of their life, um, different areas of God's law that they were following and not. So what were some of the psalmist's experiences? If we go all the way back to verse 1. The very first stanza says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. Do you ever feel that way? I know I, I do sometimes, you know. 
I'd really rather not study that topic, thanks, because I know that if I do, I'm going to feel shame. I'm going to feel ashamed of what my actions and my thoughts and my attitudes have been. Not an excuse, but that is how I feel sometimes. So this sounds to me like a person who knows that they're sinful. They really feel unworthy. And the following stanzas repeat this concept, and then the psalmist asks God for help. Both help understanding God's will and carrying it out. Verse 33 says, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. So this disgrace is the shame that I mentioned earlier, shame at knowing that I don't follow or the psalmist doesn't follow the commands that they're studying. So they're asking for help, not just, oh, help me understand and then I'll go off and obey, but help in every aspect of understanding and um, dwelling on and carrying out the God's will. So that theme in my reading gradually changes into statements of commitment. What the psalmist will do now that they are seeking and following God. Verse 43 says, Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I don't think the psalmist means that they're perfect now but rather that they are experiencing God answering their prayers uh, for help and they're seeing some of the blessings that come from dwelling on the word of God and they have confidence that they can continue to grow in obedience. After this, I felt like the theme of the prayer shifted a bit to the experiences of a person who is delighting in God's law um, and following it. Remember that this is the same person who just before was calling out to God because they were totally helpless. And now they're saying, um, and now they're so confident that they are um, following God's law and being persecuted by men in some, some of the examples in there for following the law of God. And the psalmist was steadfast. For example, in verse 84, how long must your servant wait? <clears throat> when will you punish my persecutors? The arrogant dig pits to trap me, contrary to your law. All your commands are trustworthy. Help me, for I am being persecuted without cause. They almost wiped me from the earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your unfailing love, preserve my life, that I may obey the statutes of your mouth. The psalmist experienced suffering and the comfort of God amidst that. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. Um, I had just a little read in different translations to understand this a bit. And I think that rather than meaning a physical death, perishing, 
um, or preservation that this is talking about. Um, uh, preserving the relationship with God and the spiritual life of this psalmist. If your law had not been my delight, I would have lost, perhaps lost my faith or lost that closeness with God. So towards the end of the psalm, the psalmist describes feeling sadness and anger um, and some of that real um, retribution or desire for retribution that we see in quite a bit of psalms um, over what they see in the world around them which is so many people who are not obeying God's commands. In verse 127, we read, Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. And in 136, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. So this psalmist has experienced the helplessness of being a human being who can't follow God's will. Um, they've experienced God's answers to their prayers, uh, which was his help in enabling them to um, understand his law, to delight in his law. Um, not just to understand it, I guess I better do that, but to really find joy there and confidence and, of course, to follow his commands. The writer then experienced some of the consequences of following God's law, both the really wonderful promises of God and the uh, sort of negative earthly experiences that can come. So what was my point? Um, this believer brought each of their different experiences to God in prayer. All in this psalm together, in the inspired word of God, which we know is enduring and reliable, the psalmist has put all these different experiences together. And so we must be able to do that as well. We can talk to God about the parts of his will that we delight in, that bring us joy. And we can also talk to him about the parts that we just continue to struggle, about, struggle with. Or maybe we've stopped trying, we've stopped struggling with those things. We can ask for help. help uh, we can ask for revelation for understanding God's will all the way through to having the willpower and the perseverance to carry it out. And we can bring praise to God for the comfort that he brings and even have a whinge or question why we still experience suffering um, and in some cases persecution despite seeking God's will and seeking relationship with him. Um, would you pray with me? Thank you, dear Father, so much for being our eternal, enduring and reliable God and especially considering that that is you and who we are. Thank you so much for meeting us and wanting us to come to you, for the privilege of coming to you with everything that we experience. Um, I just asked, ask as this psalmist asked you so long ago that you will help us all wherever we are to understand your will more and more all the time and not just help us understand it intellectually but give us a real desire to carry it out um, in our lives in jesus name amen i'm enjoying this it's good Any of you don't know Anne marie she's a saint because look who she's married to <laughs> no <laughs> Look forward to hearing what you're making me look, laugh. <laughs> yeah. look
look forward to hearing what you've got to say on your favourite topic. Thank you. First of all, I never look at my phone at night. I never do because I don't want to see what the time is and I'm a bad sleeper. So if I look at the time, I can sometimes get stressed about what the time is. But last Wednesday night, I woke at 1am and I decided to look at my phone because I had a real feeling that, that maybe I had a message. I hadn't heard a ping, nothing like that, but, but I looked at it and totally surprised because I thought I'd been wrong. There was a message on the screen from Laura and she had asked if I would choose a psalm for today and say why it's meaningful to me. So I prayed about it. I told her I would do that and gave it consideration. And I also remember, and oh no, sorry, pause. I also remembered something that had happened just the day before Laura texted. I was at the women's Bible study in Hobart at the Church of Christ. I was going through a door in the auditorium and um, I saw one of the ladies coming through behind me so I just held the door for her. And because I was standing there holding it open as she came through, for anyone that knows it was Henny, Alison knows Henny, and, um, and she just quoted, she just, she said, she just said simply, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and it made me smile. It was a really nice moment. I really liked it that she had, that she just gave that quote and didn't say anything else. She just said that as she came through. So, um, yeah, I felt, and I love Psalm 84. I found it was from Psalm 84, and I love Psalm 84. So I'm actually asking Paul to read it from the NIV so that I don't have to talk so much. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is a one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's a beautiful psalm, isn't it? I've always loved the imagery of the psalm and I also love the sentiment of it. I've always felt a very strong connection to it when reading it. Um, we've been to a, we've been very blessed because from first becoming Christians, we actually I was introduced to the Sons of Korah group from Australia, who I think most people would know. But I was introduced by my cousin in Holland, weirdly enough, because they play lots of concerts in Holland. She sent me out a tape, and I really loved 
I really love some of the songs, but it took me ages to get to love others. But um, they, they've, written a, they've written this psalm to music, and it's really, really beautiful. And it just took, hearing it sung in that way made it go to an even deeper level for me, because the music kind of does that. Um, so the psalm is written from the perspective of someone who longs to be in the presence of God. And that is the thing I love doing, spending time with God. The psalm always makes me think of Anna and how she lived in the temple. And I love reading about Anna too. Not that there's many verses about her, but I thought we would read that one today. Um, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, which was when Simeon was blessing Jesus and Mary and Joseph, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's from Luke 2. Um, that sounds beautiful to me. Nothing gives me more pleasure than spending time with God and there are special times, there are special times I look forward to within that. Um, one example is I was baptised, I suppose, fairly reasonably late in life and um, on the anniversary of my baptism each year I love to plan the day, a special day with the Lord. So sort of starting from a month or two before I start gathering things like whatever I might like to do on that day, like it could be putting aside a certain Christian DVD or a little devotion or a book or pencils or a particular thing, particular psalm to write out, which I am sort of part the way through 119. And it's really lovely. I think, Laura, you put me onto that reading, writing out the, word, the Bible. It, really, it is really a blessing. It's amazing what you notice that you don't normally. But anyway, things like that. And then... Um, sorry, I'll just. Oh my. So then the 29th of May comes and I'm ready to spend the day with God. I write down what I've experienced as I drew close to Him and the ways that He's spoken to me. The anticipation is part of the pleasure. In a small way, that, um, in a small way, that is what this pilgrim writer of the psalm is talking about too. It's not in a small way, though, I don't think. It's in a big way. Sorry, I don't know why I wrote that. He's thinking forward to the journey to Jerusalem and the pleasure of being in God's house. So Paul will read those verses again. Yeah, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacar, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. All right. The Valley of Bacca, I don't really know how to say it, is an arid place that was travelled through on the way to Jerusalem. But the psalm writer says that, be that because of their destination and the joy of being in the presence of God that awaits them, it is turned into a place of springs. Though I've never been to the Valley of Bacca, it was a privilege to be in Israel a few years ago. So I got to see and experience the dry, arid and dusty conditions on plenty of occasions. I don't know whether it's up there. Yeah, that's a, one of our photos. 
I think near Masada. It was so, sorry. It was such a refreshment because that landscape's pretty, pretty awful. It is beautiful when the sun comes up in the morning and you see the lovely um, glow of the pink over it. But um, one day we went to this gorgeous, gorgeous place of springs, um, which I hope is up there now. And it was the most gorgeous colours of, yeah, there it is, turquoise and aqua, and was just such a refreshing. I felt much more really at home in places like that, of course, because we're used to it here. Um, so, you know, you can, when you see all that, that kind of helps understand what the psalmist is, why he's using this kind of imagery. That bad things like arid, awful things can be made into beautiful springs, are made into beautiful springs when we are close to God and follow him and trust in him. So if I look back on my life, there have been some difficult times but enjoying the presence of God now transforms that experience into a joyful one. I could not have what I have now without travelling through that place. Um, the kind of imagery in this psalm is a big part of what I like about it. I love birds and so love this section. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Oops. Yeah, I didn't draw that, by the way. That was something I found on Pinterest, but I thought it was really, really cute that someone's done that and put the, underlined it in that spot. Um, we do have some little, are they sparrows or swallows? I think they are, that have built a little nest under our deck. So I always think of this psalm when I see that too. And I think it's lovely that God let the sparrows live in his house. Um, yeah, the writer of this psalm wants to be at the temple so much that he looks at the birds and realises that they can make a house there. It's almost like he's sort of jealous of their ability to be in God's presence all the time. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And I so know that to be true. God does not withhold one good thing from us. There are certain times that we experience that more vividly than others, and we would all have stories of that, I know. I remember an experience of that that I've never really forgotten of God's provision that was especially meaningful to me. Um, Paul and I were, this is a long time ago, probably more than 10 years ago, Paul and I were attending our three-day Christian conference on Phillip Island and then after that we were going to have a few days in Melbourne. But before we went, you know, you sort of make your little plans of what you're going to do and the most important thing I wanted to do after the conference was go to Coorong because there were two books that I was really excited about buying. I only had a really huge NLT, heavy, hardcover, commentary-style one, um, Bible, which I did love, but it was hard to carry around. So I wanted to buy a small, soft-cover NLT. And then also, does everyone know Nick Vujicic? You, I'm sure you do, but sometimes people don't know how to pronounce his name. 
He's a man with no legs and no arms. Has written some incredibly inspirational books, and he's a great evangelist. And it's just his books are so good if you ever want to read something that <clears throat> you know inspires you and draws you close to God. Um, but first, we had the conference to attend. So on Phillip Island, we were in a conference centre gathered together with a few hundred believers. The speaker asked if there were any of us who felt that there was something we had told God we would do but had, not, but had yet to complete, and he asked those people to stand. It felt a bit awkward, quite a bit awkward, but I felt that I was one of those people, so I stood up. As I looked around, there were just a few people like me dotted around and the rest were seated. The speaker had prearranged for people to come alongside each of us who were standing to pray with us. And it was a really lovely moment. After he finished praying for me, and totally unexpectedly, he handed me two books, a softcover NLT and a copy of the very Nick Vujicic book. It was, yeah, it was such a God moment. You know how you feel that. And I've always treasured this experience of God's amazing kindness. I never look at those books without thinking of it. So there is something very special about being gathered together with a large group of fellow believers. I was thinking that this morning too, like this is another beautiful gathering of believers and singing together is so special. Hearing from others. Um, and part of the temple experience would have been like that travelling up, telling stories of God's goodness to Israel and singing songs and then gathering with thousands of others who love God like you do. We have no, well, we no, sorry, we no longer have to travel to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God in this way. He is in us and always with us wherever we are. Um, oh yes, there's um, one of my favourite commentators Alexander McLaren said this, so I'll ask Paul to read that and put it up on the screen because, you know, without reading it as well, I think it's a bit heavy and then it's more understandable that way. But he said something very beautiful. The psalmist, when he began his song, he was far away from the temple. And though he finished it sitting on the same hillside on which he began it, when he ended, it was within the curtains of the sanctuary and wrapped about with the presence of his God. He had regained as he sang what for a moment he had lost, the consciousness of when he began. If we want rest, let us clasp God as ours. If we desire a home, warm, safe, shelter from every wind that blows and inaccessible to enemies, let us, like the swallows, nestle under the eaves of the temple. Let us take God for our hope. Thanks, Michael. So the psalm I've picked today is... Uh, Psalm 49, but before we jump into it, uh, hands up those who are doing their chronological Bible study that some of us started at the start of the year, uh, still trying to keep up with it, yeah. So this psalm jumped out to me uh, through reading that chronological Bible. Um, it's actually Good Friday and I was sitting at Sydney Airport waiting to fly out to the Philippines. Uh, the reason we're flying back to the Philippines was not for a holiday, but to go over there and uh, see through the sale of what was uh, the ancestral home of Mylan's family. Um, the home actually belonged to an aunt who lived in the US. Um, 
And at the same time, there are other family members who still lived in the house. Um, and so I was at the airport and this farm jumped out to me, Psalm 49, um, just as a good way to uh, reflect on life through this psalm uh, with regard to how we regard wealth and how we live out our lives in this world. And through my contemplation of this psalm, I'd like to think that it prepared me to just uh, keep a balanced view on things as we saw through the sale of this house on um, behalf of Marlene's aunt and assist other family members what was a difficult time for them. Uh, it's a difficult process, emotional process, because uh, other members had been living there uh, for many years and had to find alternate living arrangements. So the psalm itself, um, it's, it's a bit like Proverbs, it's a bit like Ecclesiastes, it's mixed together. Uh, it's, it's philosophical. Uh, gives food for thought and may help you examine how you live your life uh, in this world and give consideration for what's important to you. So I'll jump into it and we'll read through it and just uh, give some thoughts uh, in relation to the verses. Starting verse 1, uh, 4. Hear this all you people. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. So the first observations that we can make here is, is that uh, this is a call to all people, rich and poor, Jew and non-Jew. Uh, so it wasn't a, an exclusive psalm for the poor, it's exclusive all people and uh, as we might allude to that the main focus of this psalm is on riches and that's uh, riches of material possessions or what, what we have. Uh, at this point I'd like to also make, make note that there's other ways that we can, can be rich in life. There can be richness in what you do. Um, you can be rich in love, you can give it to others. You can, uh, there can be riches in what you know, uh, wisdom, to be discerning on how you live your life. And there can also be riches in your character. Um, and you might be able to influence or inspire others uh, in that way. Uh, but this psalm itself is focusing on riches and the type that um, what, what we have. So I'll continue on from verse 5. To nine. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. So here I see the, um, the psalmist made a a contrast between himself and what seems to be common practice of the desires in the world we live in today. Um, so focusing on what we have and possession. And, uh, but he qualifies um, that those to, that have possessions, um, we can have possessions, but 
putting your trust in them or boasting about your riches, um, that's um, something that's, that's the undesirable part. Um, so it's, you know, how do we depend on what we have rather than on God? And as examples of, about that, um, Abraham and David, they were both very successful. Um, I guess in their day, they would have been considered very wealthy, but they did not boast about what they had. They uh, relied upon God and followed God in obedience. Uh, there's also highlights to us in, in these verses, these few verses here, that um, no one can buy back their life uh, for another person and no one can pay God for, for his own life. Uh, but also, even though it's several hundred years before the time of Jesus, it just highlights uh, the immeasurable value of what Jesus did for us on the cross. The psalmist also recognises that uh, not only you, you can't buy your salvation, but he acknowledges there's a, an eternal destiny in hell for, if you reject God, as opposed to those who are redeemed uh, have eternal life. So money we have, or money may rule the world today that we live in, uh, but it won't do that in the next one. So moving on to verses 10 to 12. For all we can see... All can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their terms will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations. Though they had named lands for after themselves, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like beasts that perish. So physical death, uh, that's uh, will occur to all of us, and we all know we, we can't take our possessions with us. So, in consideration, contemplation, what is your main focus as you live out your life in this world? Do you desire to amass material things, to make a name for yourself so that your name might be carried out through, through the ages? Or do you display the riches uh, that the Lord, how do you display the riches that God has allowed you to possess? One could be proud of them uh, and use, or you could... Uh, Use them to make a statement uh, of the things that you've achieved with, with that pride. And, and as we see today, so often in the world today, pride in its many forms is something that uh, is celebrated. Uh, yeah. Or alternatively, um, instead of being pride, having pride about the things that we have, uh, you could be just as proud of your spirituality. Uh, let others know what God has done for you. Use your riches, uh, the other forms of riches, uh, to do, to help others, to give compassion, have empathy towards others and encourage others. So then getting on towards the end of this psalm, uh, verses 13 to 15. This is the face of those who trust in themselves and all their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep who are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. But the upright will prevail them over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. So it's folly to value the, the material over the spiritual. 
although you may be a descendant or a benefactor of someone who trusted and boasted in their riches, was extremely wealthy, uh, you don't necessarily have to continue in that way. You all have a choice uh, to focus on other riches, to focus on uh, your relationship with God and serve him. In this psalm, uh, or in other versions of this psalm, in verse 14, uh, the word beauty is used instead of forms. And so that, uh, where it says that the, uh, the, they, are, they are like sheep and are destined to die, uh, death will be their shepherd, um, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave. Um, forms is uh, replaced with beauty and the psalmist appears to be suggesting that the kind of beauty that's found in, in mirrors or bank accounts um, to be one of the beautiful people of the world it's not the kind of beauty we should be aspiring to indeed it's uh, there's a better kind of beauty to live for and the upright that choose to display other forms of beauty will ultimately have dominion over those who solely, solely focus on the material. So finally in the psalm, uh, it says, Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendour of their house increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendour will not descend with them. Though while they live they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper, they will join those who have gone before them who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish. So keep things in, a worldly, uh, in perspective. Um, worldly wealth is temporal, but uh, don't let the seeds of doubt creep into, faith, uh, into your faith also. Um, stand by your belief. So essentially that's what I... Uh, believe that the psalmist was saying there uh, to don't be overawed when others grow rich uh, it's temporal just maintain your faith don't be influenced what you see in the world happening to others uh, in essence it's far better to focus on the eternal and to be rich in love thank you